Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kelliville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Well, welcome back to another instalment of Said on Sunday. I'm your host, Beck, and I have Nathan with me again today. How are you going, Nathan? Going well. We got, we've We've gotten rid of Dave and and um, again the fans have spoken. I think yeah, <laughs> they've um, no, it's he's, he's busy, but um, it's good. Just us, we'll go again. Just take you on and one me. Sunday. Yeah. All right, and James, um, making sure that you can hear us, which is great. <laughs> um, now on Sunday we talked about victory songs. Uh, my first question is: Are you going to sing today on the podcast? <laughs> um, I sang in a sermon a few weeks ago, and I've been banned from singing. Um, Is that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it. Yeah, it wasn't was great. Was it live streamed? It was, yeah. I think I did okay, sing girl. at 10.30 and 6.15. So, yeah. Oh, what sermon was it? I can't remember. But oh, anyway, I'm going to check it Chatting out. about leadership and, and anyway, saying the um, the hole in your budget song by Liberal. It was just around the election Actually, time. Actually, I do remember. Yeah. I blocked it out. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So, I sang <laughs> once and... Um, <laughs> And it didn't land, so um, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll park it. Um, okay, but yeah, in, in, in my in my own home, when the Raiders win on the weekend, hopefully we'll we'll okay. see it again. Yeah. Okay, well, your family can enjoy that in the privacy <laughs> of your own home. Um, so, what did you talk about on Sunday? Yeah, so one Samuel uh, chapter two verses one to eleven, which is Hannah's uh, victory prayer or victory song, and it's about. It's setting the table, really setting the contents for the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel uh, and even more broadly than that, the rest of Scripture and sort of how God works in our world. And um, it's the reverse of what we normally expect and the way we normally think. And so uh, pretty much every verse in the middle section, verses 3 to 8, has a a reversal of some kind. Um, So it's the warriors who are broken. It's the weak who are armed with strength. It's the barren woman who has a happy family. And so over and over and over again, it's God bringing a reverse kingdom. And so... Yeah, important to wrestle with that song because I normally, I normally just like to know the continuation of the narrative. And so, okay, we started with Samuel. Like, mm-hmm. why are we stopping for a song? Like, what are we doing? Like, let, I want to find out more about Samuel. Um, but yet, if you understand his song, you, perhaps Jesus' life where he comes and he dies and he comes and lets himself be judged and acts the opposite way to what we would expect. Perhaps if we knew 1 Samuel 2 a little bit better, that wouldn't have blindsided us as much that the ultimate mm-hmm. king would come and, and win through weakness as opposed through uh, might and conquering. And so... Anyway, so really important to understand for 1 and 2 Samuel, but even the rest of Scripture. So mm. God, anyway, so the main point is that God brings in the reverse kingdom. So he flips everything that we're used to upside down. Okay. Yeah, yeah really countercultural message that we still wrestle with today. Mm, definitely. Mm. Okay, so our first question is about the context of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Who wrote Who wrote 1 Samuel? Yeah. Um, as a joke, I claim that I did and um, got heckled a lot after the service for that. But um, yeah, much, much sharper person than I wrote it, but we actually have no idea. And so uh, the natural response is when you see it titled 1 and 2 Samuel is to go, oh, Samuel must have wrote it. But mm. he's, he he dies uh, near the end of 1 Samuel. And so mm-hmm. there's still the rest of 1 Samuel, I think six chapters left of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel after that, which he's not mm. around for. So it wasn't him, uh, but we read in Kings and Chronicles that there was lots of stuff written down and that they're, they're kept in places. So uh, there's a decent chance that all the events that happened uh, through Samuel, and he probably was one of the sources, he probably wrote lots of things down. And mm-hmm. so probably the first 25 chapters of the book 
are a lot of his writings. Um, but onwards, yeah, probably those writings about Saul and David and, and about the priests. And so it's all being collected and someone's come later on. We don't know how much later on, whether it was 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, uh, and collated it and, and written a, um, a history for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't know who wrote it, um, but it's... It's a really good book, and uh, mm. I'd love to love to know who it was and and mm. give him credit because it's um, so cleverly written and and it's just such an important part of scripture. Mm. Yeah, I opened a few commentaries um, to just have a, have a think about this question, and uh, then I closed them again because <laughs> it was like pretty like a lot of different theories and mm. different evidence, and then arguments against it. But I think what you said is perfectly right. Like we don't know, but, um, what we do know is that they were writing God's story, um, for, for the benefit of those who would read it. Yeah. I think all the King, I mean, all the Kings, even the bad Kings and the ones that reign very briefly have sort of a record of what happened under their reign. And so I think we can feel pretty confident that the events of Saul and David's life were recorded pretty closely. Mm. Um, yeah, because if they're doing it for the unimportant Kings, then the original two Kings and one of whom is arguably the greatest King Israel ever has, um, yeah, I think mm. we can be pretty confident that they had a pretty detailed record of all the key events of their reigns. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so how did Hannah's prayer make it in then? Cause it seems like a really private kind of a thing. How did Hannah's prayer make it into the book of one Samuel? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Cause yeah, that is, you know, I have private prayers to the Lord that I don't want everyone seeing, but, um, I think Throughout scripture, we do get a lot of songs, a lot of victory songs and and by women as well. So I'm thinking Miriam, you know, after Israel escape, like they stop and and she sings a song, Deborah and Judges, now Hannah in in 1 Samuel and then obviously Mary later on. So significant events in history and the birth of Samuel is a a massive one um, Mm. because not only is he an awesome leader in and of himself, but he's the one who brings in kingship. So he's not a king himself, but he anoints the first two kings and sort of, you know, is the king maker, so to speak, from a human perspective. Um, and so it's a massive event. So people are going to, people are going to keep track of, of Hannah's song. So I imagine, I imagine she probably passed it on to Samuel and sort of said, this is, this is what I prayed. Like, this is how I celebrated, um, mm. when you were born. And so Samuel's probably got a record of it. And, and as things become significant events in history, then they're going to get recorded and passed on. And, and there's, so there's a rich oral tradition in the Jewish mm. community. So, um, yeah, Hannah's prayer is is going to be recorded and, and passed on, mm. um, and it's it's a happy prayer. So it's probably one of those things that you'd be more happy to pass on. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. So um, yeah, do you have you read any commentaries? Any, any shed any good light for you? I did, and um, no, they didn't really. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, there's lots of chatter about um, who wrote it. Was it really Hannah? Like a lot of skeptical yeah. kinds of ideas. Um, but one scholar that I resonated with is why couldn't it have just been Hannah? <laughs> like mm. there's actually not a lot of clear evidence to suggest otherwise unless you were to say, well, she talked about a king in her prayer and she didn't know there was going to be a king. So clearly someone else wrote it later. But I think you really have to be dedicated to the fact that prophecy isn't a real thing in order to make that conclusion. So um, I'm very comfortable with the fact that it was Hannah and she maybe she based it on some hymns from other places in scripture, um, like those victory songs that you were talking about, and but adapted it for her situation and um, the fact that she talks about kings, it could be that she's a prophetess at that mm. point. But another person suggested that at the end of Judges, there is a suggestion that maybe a king might be 
some mm. kind of a solution to Israel's problems. So maybe she was kind of riffing on that. I don't know. Or she was, I don't have a problem with prophecy, obviously, as a Christian. But yeah, but I think it was Hannah and I think, it, yeah, I think it was her responding to her situation and praising God with kind of a very um, psalm-like, um, mm. psalm of thanksgiving, um, yeah, piece yeah. of composition. Yeah, and there's that Deuteronomy 17 and 18, which speaks about the king as well. And yeah. so uh, it's anticipated that Israel are going to ask for a king at some point. And then, yeah, the Judges 21, 25, that mm. tension that is waiting to be resolved. And mm. it seems to be assumed not only by the author of Judges, but also by the people in Israel that the solution is a king. And so maybe, yep. yeah, she's projecting forward saying, you know, he's gonna God's going to raise up a king for us. Mm-hmm. And she's speaking better than she knows <laughs> yeah, and, and, exactly. that, and that she's right. And she doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen. It's just like in Caiaphas in uh, John 11, where he says, mm. don't you guys know that it's better if one person dies in place of many? And he's sort of trying to protect Israel. And so he's saying, let's just let Jesus die and, and get rid of the problem. Mm. And he speaks way better than he knows. Cause actually yeah. that's the exact solution that God has for all our problems. Yeah. Caiaphas had completely different intentions, but yeah, he speaks better than he knows. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. And recorded in scripture for us to marvel at. Yes. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit more about Hannah's song. Um, and looking at verse one, she talks about her enemy and you were telling us about Penina, um, is her, the other the other wife of her mm-hmm. husband who used to tease her for not having a baby. And so beginning of her song, she's talking about her enemy. Um, is it okay that Hannah's talking about Penina in terms of being her enemy and um, boasting against her or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a strong word. Um, chapter 1 uses rival. And so I'm wondering whether the Hebrew is pretty similar for both those words mm-hmm. because unfortunately Penina, I'm mean, sorry, Elkanah's put them both in a position where they're competing, mm. um, whether he intended that or not, that's the consequence of having multiple wives. Yeah. And so Hannah's the favorite, but Penina's the one who can bear ch- children. And so there's just this competition going on and Penina's been pretty ruthless and pretty vicious uh, on Hannah. For, and we just read in a couple of verses, but it sounds like it's year after year after year after year. And so just gone at her. Um, there's a huge rivalry there. Um, so I think... Yeah, probably she perceives her as an enemy, someone who's just mercilessly uh, mocked her and belittled her for year after year. And so, I don't know, if someone did that to me, um, maybe I'm, I might be hesitant to use that stronger language, but certainly I would certainly consider it in my mind. And so, yeah, and again, I think the boasting is just that, not that something's terrible happened to Benina or she's wishing her really ill will, but she's saying, hey, you've, you've mocked me mercilessly for years. You have been so cruel. And God's actually vindicated me. And so, yeah, I don't think she's wishing ill on Panana, but she's saying, hey, all your mockery has, has ended up in, as nothing because I have a little boy. And mm. as it turns out, she's going to have five more boy, uh, five more children mm. uh, later on in, in Samuel. So, yeah, it's strong language. And yet Panana does act like an enemy. Yeah. She does. This is the reality. She's very, um, she's very cruel persistently. So yeah. I think it's fair and, and the boasting is about God and what he's done, not about awful things happening to Panana that she's rubbing in her face or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's not going, no, no, I have a baby now. Like, <laughs> it's um, it's actually rejoicing in what God has done for her, proving Penina wrong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So more about Penina. Next question. Without Penina's ta- taunts in chapter one, Hannah wouldn't have reached out to God and then sing this song of victory. How are we to understand all of this? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so many instances like this in scripture, aren't there? Where mm-hmm. 
if you have a if you have the quite a bit of a wrong view of things, you can give credit to people who are the bad guys in the in the story. So, yeah, Penina mocks her mercilessly again, and that leads to this heartfelt prayer, which you know God remembers her, and so all the good stuff flows because Penina does this. But um, it's a common theme in scripture, like um, Joseph gets sold into slavery because his brothers are jealous of him, mm. and that's totally corrupt. But because of that, and he saves Egypt, and he saves the people of Israel by um, by his wisdom in, <laughs> as a leader in Egypt. So, mm. and then obviously at, at Jesus' crucifixion, we have eternal life because uh, the Jews and then the Romans, you know, murdered the, the innocent one. And so, yeah, it's um, we give God a lot of credit for that. That um, as Genesis fifty twenty said, you intended to harm me, but the Lord intended it for good. And so, uh, men and women have wicked intentions in these cases and are very evil. Mm. Um, but God is always good and, and is working it for for, for salvation in yeah. a lot of cases. And so, um, yeah, He saves a lot of people through the wicked actions of um, other other wicked people. So it's um, yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around, but yeah, praise be to God. Mm. And uh, but yeah, we don't want to honor Penina for her actions, and we don't want to honor uh, the people who crucified Jesus, and we don't give any credit to to Joseph's brothers because they they stepped in and and did awful stuff. Mm. It's just that God is awesome, thankfully. Yeah, and that's really what the books of Samuel are about: is God achieving His purposes, mm. and we can. And you see people, the different people in the story, like some of them are God's instruments. Um, assisting God in achieving his will and purpose and other are God's obstacles, but God gets it done anyway. Mm. And often because of the obstacles, he achieves his purpose. It's just like such a testament to his awesome power that he can achieve his purposes no matter what we do. Um, And I actually find that quite comforting Mm. um, as a Christian to think that there's nothing I can do that's going to prevent God from achieving his purpose. Um, in his world, including in my life. So um, not that I want to go around doing the wrong thing. I don't want to be an obstacle. I want to be an instrument. But I do find it a comfort that God will get it done. Yeah, and as the culture sort of turns more and more against us and more hostile to us, it's also a huge comfort that, hey, God's Mm. working. And Mm. maybe there'll be some hostilities and some really negative things that happen and uh, to us, but God's got a plan and that's not going to stop it. So it's it's a great comfort. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's talk about Eli. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is asking, did God talk to Eli directly or only directly to Samuel? Yeah, it's, um, it's a thing that's in 1 Samuel 2 verse 27 where we're just told a man of God goes and speaks to Eli. And so mm. it doesn't seem like it's Samuel because Samuel generally gets named if mm. he and, and Samuel's still a little boy at this point. Um, so it's just a obscure, unnamed man of God who goes and pronounces judgment. Um, again, yes, it's God's will. He'll use obscure figures. Um, and yeah, this guy has no name, no identity, aside from being a man of God. Yeah. And uh, that's how he uses to condemn Eli. And then he's going to get condemned again in chapter three. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think it sounds negative, but actually this is God actually gives Eli multiple chances to repent. Mm. And he just, Eli just keeps not doing it. Like God mm-hmm. saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And and Eli just responds, I think in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 3 by saying, God can do what's good in his eyes rather than, oh no, let's repent. And Yeah, that's an interesting uh, response. Yeah. Will you is. be talking about that in a future sermon? Uh, that's James's sermon. So, um, 
Maybe he will. Yeah, yeah. He's got but his enigmatic <laughs> smile again. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but it's just sad. Like it's yeah. Like anyway. So when God pronounces judgment on you ahead of time, it's actually an act of grace. Like mm. repent and mm. and see what happens. Uh, and we see it in multiple times in in scripture where Moses, probably the most famous one, after the golden calf, goes and pleads for the people, and God decides not to wipe them out when He promised when He said He would. So. Mm. Anyway, Eli has multiple chances, but I think spiritually he's he's pretty dead. Mm. And yeah, just, he cops it, but he doesn't repent. Mm. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting that um, Eli gets spoken to by God through a prophet, mm. um, but Samuel gets spoken to God directly. Yes. We, we read in future chapters. Do you think that's significant? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, yeah, probably a, a subtle hint that Samuel's. God's chosen leader mm. at this point, and mm. that because um, a similar thing happens to Saul, where well, Saul loses the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's fascinating, and we'll tackle that next year. Okay, um, so get ready for that. But yeah, there is a couple of times in one and, and two Samuel where a leader seems to lose the presence of God, and mm. another leader seems to gain it. And so um, David gets anointed, and Saul loses the Spirit of God, and and yeah, God is speaking directly to Samuel. Um, but not to Eli. And so, yeah, we're getting, I don't know how much to make of it, but I think we're getting little subtle hints that mm -hmm. the leadership is being changed and God has chosen his, his new man. Mm. Yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah. yeah. This is the, Samuel's the real deal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk a bit more about God's kingdom, um, leadership, and mm -hmm. where we fit into all of this. Um, so you talked about on Sunday that um, it was all about God's big reversal, the mm -hmm. book of Samuel. Um, so the question is, it's, is God's kingdom reversed or is it actually the way things should be? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, that was Dave. He was pushing me hard at 8.30 there. And mm -hmm. um, Anyway, so yeah, I was, my response to that is it's a thing of perspective. So now as a Christian, yes, God's way is the right way up. Mm. But our experience of the world, the Genesis 3 world that we live in and uh, everything that God does is counterintuitive or reverse to mm. how we would do it. And so mm. uh, as it, so it's a, from a thing of perspective. So yeah, from God's perspective and I say as a Christian's perspective, um, yeah, God's way is the right way up. You know, the, the leaders should serve and the humble, you know, they're the ones who are going to be exalted in the end. And so, um, but our experience of the world, our natural inclinations, what we expect, what we assume, like I'm still like, if you asked me to pick a leader, I would still naturally be drawn to the charismatic, strong, confident mm. figure, whether that be a man or a woman, someone who yeah, looks the part, mm. I'm still going to be drawn to that person. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will kick in and go, Oh yeah, that's your natural inclination, but be careful. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's the reverse to how we normally think, but from God's perspective and maybe probably from a Christian perspective, it, that is the right way up kingdom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that'd be it's a matter of perspective. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was thinking about this question. I'm like, but then when we get to heaven, Jesus is exalted mm. and he's on the throne. But mm. then I was thinking in Revelation, he's like the lamb with the fatal wound. Like, yep. so there's this kind of um, conflict between sort of submission and service and, ex and being exalted and glorified. Um, yeah. It's definitely something to think deeply about. Yeah. Because he's the lion. 
that acts like a lamb. Yeah, because he's, yeah. he's, he's got the, all the might and power and authority of a lion, mm. uh, yet he lays his life down like a lamb. So, yeah, he's, he's sort of the perfect model. I mean, that, it's sort of that metaphor, sort of the perfect mm. model of the reverse kingdom, right? So yep. you expect a lion to come and maul and kill and, and just dominate, and, and yet mm. he acts like a lamb, which mm. is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a big, it's a very big topic. Um, all right, next question. Um, is it wrong to want to be influential? but to do it for the expansion of God's kingdom. Yeah, I think we all, like I want to be influential for, you know, I want to have influence on other people's lives to to see them come to know Jesus and see God's kingdom expand. Um, yeah, so that's a good goal. Um, mm. And so the challenge is when we, when we become influential and we've seen this both in scripture and in real life that often as leaders become more influential, it increasingly becomes more about them and, and less about God. And so they have to constantly fight that mm. internal struggle and mm. constantly put, uh, put the self to death at that point. But, um, so yeah, so yeah, if you want to be influential for God's kingdom, that's great. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the warning from one Samuel is who does God choose to be influential and it's mm. the humble, it's those who depend on him, it's those who are weak. And so we'll often want to be influential for God's kingdom and then we'll go by projecting strength and charisma mm. and all the worldly means. And yet God chooses, yeah, God chooses those who the world would normally reject. Um, mm. And all these key servants, I mean, there's, a, there's an occasional person like Daniel who seems to just be a very confident, competent mm -hmm able person, but often even the apostle Paul is sort of a shorter, stubbier, not the greatest public speaker kind of figure. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you want to be influential for God's kingdom, the warning for one Samuel is who do you think God chooses? Because often mm. we want that and then we go and pursue the influence by worldly means. Yeah. And there's always that temptation then, isn't there? If we're wanting to be influential for God's kingdom, which is a noble thought and a, mm -hmm. and a right way to think, but once you start being influential, even in the church, there's many traps, isn't there? Yeah. To become arrogant and proud. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me of, I was listening to a podcast and um, the podcaster was asking Tim Keller um, about how do you build your platform? And I remember he was horrified by the question. <laughs> He's like, why would I want to build a platform? Mm. Um, and it was a bit uncomfortable actually. But um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, and we're going to talk about Tim Keller right now. He's such a humble man who does have a lot of influence for the kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, so the most famous one for me, because he shaped me so much, was Mark Driscoll. Mm -hmm. I just, I loved listening to him. Like, mm. I spent yeah, hours and hours and hours, like for years and years listening to him. And um, yeah, it was the rise and fall of Mars Hill that compared him to a Piper or a Keller. Mm. And the difference was, yeah, they were really influential, Piper and Keller, but it took them 30 years to have any breakthroughs. So they learned humility and took their lumps. And so when they mm. got their breakthroughs, they went, this isn't me. Like this is all God's work. Like yeah. I've been slaving at it for 15, 20 years, doing not much. And then God has mercy, uh, mercifully let something happen. Mm. Whereas Driscoll had all the success straight away. And yeah. so his character didn't get to grow with his success. And so it was all consuming for him. Mm. Um, yeah. So Keller's a good example of, yeah, God, it's a blessing when God makes you take your lumps before he gives you any breakthroughs because mm. it keeps you humble. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, so let's talk about Keller a bit mm. more. Um, the next question is about the quote um, of, of Tim Keller that you brought to us on Sunday. So in the Tim Keller quote, he says that we need to come to God with nothing. For people who may have had a lot of success and status in their life, 
How can they resist trusting in themselves rather than Jesus alone? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a particularly good question in our wealthy, successful area, mm. um, Hills District. You know, we often will look up to the North Shore celebrities and go, oh, we're not that well off, but we're, you know, in a top one, two, maybe even point one or two percentage of the world. So, mm. um, so it's a good question. So we have a lot of success and a lot of wealth, um, whether we feel like it or not. Um, yeah, I think what I want to say is that even the wealthiest, most successful person contributes nothing to their salvation before God. And yeah. so spiritually you are broke and barren and dead. And mm. so, um, yeah, you might be really good at your job. You might be an excellent athlete. You might be an amazing musician. And yet what you contribute to your salvation is nothing. God, you know, Jesus lives the perfect life. You should have lived, dies in your place. God calls you to himself. Like he draws you to him. Like you don't get to take any credit for that. Um, and so there's the spiritual dimension of doesn't matter how worthy you are, you're spiritually broke before mm. God called you. And then there's actually the, in terms of the physical wealth dimension, uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 4 that Paul says the Corinthians who are a wealthy, uh, successful church and looked a lot like the world around them. It's like, mm -hmm. what what do you have that wasn't given to you? Like, what mm -hmm. do you have to boast about? And like everything you have, even the most competent person was given to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember being... Um, have my mentor make me memorize Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, which says, you may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So mm. even the wealth I have, you know, God, God gave me the ability and any gifts and capabilities I have, even if I have great work ethic, you know, mm. what would I, what would I be able to do if God didn't give me those abilities? Nothing. Mm. So even the physical wealth I have, I owe to God. Yeah. yeah. So scripture is a real antidote mm. to arrogance and yep. thinking that you don't need Jesus. Um, yeah, I think Ephesians 2 is one of your favourites, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah another one, yeah. Yeah, and so that's yeah, that's where I'm getting that from. Like, but I'm, I'm, I'm a slave, I'm given over to death. Like, that's that's my natural state and it's God who mm. intervenes and, yeah, and I'm saved not by works but by faith and which God gave to me. So mm. according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, so I've got, yeah, got nothing to boast about, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think we need to continually remind ourselves of that and meditate on that. If I can um, answer a Keller question with a Keller quote, mm. some Keller on Keller <laughs> <laughs> layering. Um, he writes in his book, um, The Prodigal God, um, that your, your computer operates automatically in a default mode unless you deliberately tell it to do something else. So Luther says, talking about Martin Luther, says that even after you are converted by the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on other principles unless you deliberately, repeatedly set it to gospel mm. mode. Mm. And I thought that was really pertinent to this question. We have to deliberately, repeatedly set our hearts to gospel mode. Yeah, um, that's so helpful. Otherwise, we're just going to get sucked in yeah. um, by thinking that we contribute something. Yeah. Okay, um, here's another question. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a tricky one. So the question is, wicked seems like such a strong word within the context of our contemporary society. So you were t telling us um, on Sunday that um, the faithful in God's reverse kingdoms are the one faithful who, oh, let me start again. The people who are faithful in God's reverse kingdom are the ones who see themselves as wicked, mm. but wicked people think they're okay. Mm. Um, and I think someone's saying, oh, wicked is a, is a really strong word. Um, how yep. do we understand that in relation to ourselves and contemporary society's definition of wicked? 
Yeah, that's a yeah, it's a really good question because wicked is a really really strong word. Um, also bizarrely used as a compliment sometimes. That's wicked, <laughs> yeah. and also a fantastic musical. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's used lots of different ways. Wicked, but I think the ultimate definition is rejecting God and mm-hmm. opposing God. So I think that's how God would generally describe the wicked, those who are against him. Mm. And so you can actually be quite a lovely person and achieve a lot of good in your life. But if your overall stance is you oppose him, uh, God sees you as wicked. And so Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that, you know, I think the go-to evil person would be a Hitler or someone that you're sort of in the same level as him, you know, and constantly doing evil all the time or whatever. It's just that your stance is that you're, you're against God. Mm. Um, and so that can be actively rejecting him or it can be just ignoring him and going your own way. Um, and so, yeah, and that's, we're all naturally wicked. And, mm. um, and the other way of looking at it is you can't live up to God's standards, which is perfection yeah. as well. So you can't hit the, the holiness standards that God sets, which is per- perfection. And actually you set yourself against God. I think mm. that'd be your two, your two pronged definition. And so, might be a little bit more palatable if you can get someone to understand that that's where it's coming from, not that they're just awful all the time. Mm. Um, but it, I think in contemporary usage, because it's such a strong, loaded word, mm. you know, I just go with sinful or, yeah, you reject God or, um, mm. so you use your own wisdom. But it is a biblical word. Jesus calls his own disciples evil or wicked mm-hmm. uh, when he's talking about how God, you know, you know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you're wicked, you know, mm. so how much more will God give good gifts to his children when he's holy? Um, so it's a biblical word. And so we don't want to be too shy about it, but you know, maybe in your context, if it's going to have such a hostile reaction and end the conversation instantly, if you called someone wicked, then you might refrain and mm. use a softer, a softer word. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, sometimes we do as Christians even forget that we are wicked, mm. um, because we think that we're okay. But yeah. again, we need to understand that, yeah, um, if we think we're okay, we don't understand just how holy God is and we don't understand that the rift that sin mm-hmm. um, puts between us and God. Yeah. Um, I, I do um, have seen on social media people objecting to Christians calling people wicked or sinful and saying that the concept of sin is such a horrible concept and it's just there to make people feel bad about themselves so the church can have power over them and... Um, yeah, and and I like and I read those things, and I think, um, and I'm grieved that people think that about mm. the gospel, um, and I think that um, it also highlights the fact that maybe um, people don't realise that the Bible teaches that people are really precious. It's mm. not just we're not just sinful; we're we're actually created in the image of God, as we've talked about before. We're very precious and that, that's the reason why our sin is such a tragedy is because mm. we are so precious to God and we were created for a relationship with him. So there's this kind of dual tension between our preciousness but also our brokenness um, that, yeah, are held in tension and then resolved resoundedly by Jesus' work on the cross um, to bring us back into relationship with God. So, yeah, the gospel isn't just all you're terrible. Um, The gospel is you're precious and God Mm. longs for you to come back to him and he has a cure for your sin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting that the people God calls righteous are also, you know, in some ways they're quite wicked, but they just stop opposing God, you know. And so it's ultimately just, yeah, it's it's a tricky one and it is hard. And you, But you do have to, as Christians, we... You know, if you don't believe you're sinful, then 
you're not going to be saved. Yeah, mm. that's the reality. Yeah. And so we have to try and get that message across as humbly as we can. And often it starts by pointing to our own sin and failure. And so that's what I generally try and do. Like I find the doctrine of sin really easy to believe because of me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the so, same. Not so much because of the world. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously there's lots of mess out in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I'll go, actually it's because I'll look at me and go, yep, no, sin's real. And then look around the world and go, oh, sin's real. And then hopefully person you're tacking, talking to will take that extra step and go, mm. no, I'm, I'm also part of the problem. But yeah, not everyone will. No. But um, it's true and they really need to acknowledge it. It's sort of the first, one of the first steps towards salvation is going, hey, I've got a problem. Yeah. 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 It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, our next question is, is it wrong to have self-confidence and be proud of worldly achievements? Uh, no. <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's not 100% sure how to answer it. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, you know, it's good to celebrate. You mm. know, we're told in scripture, rejoice with those who rejoice. Something good happens to you. You smash your HSC, you get a job promotion, you know, you get married or something really joyous happens. Like, yeah, celebrate it, enjoy it. And it's a mm. gift. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And, and as human beings in made in God's image, with, there should be a, a self-confidence and a self-value in terms of, yeah, we're making God's image. Like, so we have, none of us is, is worthless or uh, detestable or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, there's that balance of I'm sinful, but I'm deeply loved and I'm made in God's image. And so there's definitely, you have inherent value for who you are and, and God's given you gifts and abilities, mm. um, which he's blessed you with and wants you to use. And so celebrate when your gifts and abilities um bring you really work for you like that's great mm. uh the question is the the challenge is just not over celebrating them and, and then becoming the main thing and so they're wonderful gifts they're massive blessings uh and yet the ultimate th they're not the ultimate thing and mm. so enjoy them um but don't pursue them above all else and so the danger for christians uh, and non-christians alike is that we make the, we make good things, God things. And so mm. elevate a really good thing into the ultimate thing. And, and, and then we have an idol and then we're, we're walking away from God. And so there's, there's just because there's a risk to them doesn't mean they're inherently bad. It's a mm. great thing. If you achieve what you want to achieve in the sporting arena or in the work arena or whatever, great, congrats. Um, but they're just not the ultimate thing. So it's just, mm. yeah, there's so much nuance and balance that needs to be had with all these issues. And mm. it's hard to, to get everything all in the right order. And I think that's probably why all, all three of us sitting at this desk would say that we stuff it up at times as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think one of your answers to a previous question um, kind of covers this as well is just be aware why you made that achievement. Mm. Like this is God's gift to you. And so yeah. I respond with gratefulness as well as like, yeah, I did that. That's really cool. I'm proud of myself, but understand that it's come from God and um, be cautious about then thinking you're better than everyone else. Yes. Um, so, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I was always taught if someone compliments me to say thank you um, mm. rather than go, oh, it was all God or whatever. Like I understand that it is God who who gives us gifts, but we also have autonomy and mm. do things ourselves. So, yeah, it's a real balancing act. Yeah. So, again, one of those things to do in community mm. and um, with people around you because um, it's hard to figure it out on your own. Yep. Okay, so it's kind of... 
I think resonates with a lot of our discussion so far. The next question, how does Hannah's song impact leadership? Yeah, it reverses it. (laughs) No, it it sort of reverses about, about what our priorities are. And so how do we want to go about being a leader? Actually, if I want to be a good minister at Kelly Anglican, I need to be a picture of humility and a picture of service and a picture of dependence and a picture of, of brokenness that God, by his grace, uses rather than trying to project strength and having it all together. And um, and so it sort of it flips it on its head. Like, mm. what am I? And so and when it flips on its head, it works because... I'm pointing all the glory to God. And so I'm not getting the congregation to go, look at Nathan Brewer, he stands at the front and he speaks and he, you know, he has life together. It's, oh, Nathan's a weak, broken servant, but, you know, he's been shaped and changed by by God. And mm-hmm. anything good that comes from his life is is God's grace and mercy. And so, um, yeah, so for me, it's, it does flip it. My, again, my natural tendency is, yeah, I want to project strength. I want to project having my life together. I want to project being really mm. confident and charismatic. Like that's my, that's my, instantly my natural, that's how I want to seem when I'm at the front and go, actually, no, I want to, I want to acknowledge my own sin at the front to a point. I want to air all the dirty laundry and just make people uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But I want to acknowledge my weakness, my sin, my failing areas where I struggle. And so, yeah, so as a leader um, from the front, I actually want to, when I'm preaching, I don't want to go, you fix this. I want to go we fix, we need to work on this because mm. I'm bad at it too. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's for me in leadership, it's projecting weakness actually and struggle and vulnerability and a dependence on God rather than the natural human traits that we look for. So mm. yeah. What about you? You have influence over, over people and you know, you're a star of a massive podcast. Like what is it? <laughs> <Massive>. what, what, <laughs> what does one Samuel 2 look like for you? I think um, the resounding message for me is about humility mm-hmm. and remembering that God is doing his work through you. And so when things are going well, you can say, you can praise God and say, you know, um, thanks God for giving me the gifts that that have had good influence on his people. But if I do things badly, um, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Like God carries me through that because he will achieve his purposes. Um, so, yeah, I think Hannah's song is a real testament to who God is and his power and um, and seeing myself in relation to that, I'm really humbled. Mm. And I, I mean, from a preaching perspective, like often it's the sermons that I don't like that God uses <laughs> and often mm. it's the sermons that I, when I'm getting up there, I'm going, oh, this is pretty good actually and I'm looking forward to giving this that sort of don't land or whatever. But yeah, God, God works in weakness. And so actually it's not surprising that the sermons I don't feel great about are the ones that God uses to, to Mm. hit home. And the sermons I feel really confident about are the sermons that miss. So yeah, I need to understand one Samuel two better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What a great chapter. Mm. Um, all right. So moving away from one Samuel, I suppose in some ways, um, you spoke about Maxwell's book on Sunday which encouraged people to find their strength and capacity in themselves mm. rather than God. Mm-hmm. There are, of course, many books that tow a similar line, some blatantly and others very subtly. Um, when looking at such books, sermons and podcasts or whatever we're, we're consuming, how can we determine whether these pass the test for our readership and following? Yeah, it's, again, it's a really nuanced thing. Like a lot of the tips that John Maxwell give 
in terms of practicalities are really good. Mm. <laughs> so a lot of these self-help books actually have really helpful tips and, and leadership books. Like I listen to Craig Rochelle leadership podcast and I'm sure, I mean, he's like a great guy. I'm sure there'd be some things we disagree theologically on, but guess what? His leadership tips are actually really helpful. Mm. Um, and so I, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, where, Yes, John Maxwell was trying to get me to blow the cap off my capacity. I think it was his catchphrase for the book. Um, but he does actually have some really good tips. And so I, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 5 where Paul says, you know, test the spirits, take what is good and, and leave what is bad. And so there's lots of really great things in there. And I, like I find a book quite inspiring and I'm mm. quite energized when I read it. But yeah, the trap is that, yeah, all the strength is in me. And so we don't throw books we disagree with in the bin. We don't throw books that are partially true and partially wrong. Um, but we do take, we take everything to scripture. Uh, we, we test, we test the spirits and we so there'll be some books that 60% of it is bad, but 40% of it, 40% of it is good. So keep the 40%, mm. you know, mm. don't throw the 40% out because the 60% is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just testing that and who the test for Maxwell's book is who are we leaning on? Who are we depending on here? And it seemed like it was, it was me and God was a means to an end to make me have the maximum capacity and achieve the absolute most I could. Mm. Um, and I do want to achieve the most I can, but I want to be, I want it to be about God and, and less about me. But yeah, some of the practical tips are great. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's helpful. Um, all right. So final question and it's a tough one. Um, about Christian suffering. Mm. Why do terrible things happen to someone sometimes if they are Christian, strong in their faith and live to please God? Just because you follow God doesn't always mean good things will happen to you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's two questions in one about Christian suffering. I think I might might do a Dave and flip this one back to you to start off with. Oh, okay. No, I do do have some thoughts, but yeah, you you go first. I've been going first all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a really important Mm -hmm. question, and it's not the first time we've talked about Mm -hmm. this on the podcast. Um, And I think it does keep coming up because it's something really important to wrestle with. Um, Like we talked about it a lot in the Winter Wonderland Mm -hmm. special about God closing doors and trusting God with closed doors and that kind of thing. So if this is your question, I encourage you to, to go and listen to that because we've probably said something slightly different, still true, but I hope. Um, but yeah, I think you are absolutely right that, um, no, just because you follow God doesn't mean good things will happen to you. You're, you're right. Um, and in fact, Jesus tells his disciples in John sixteen thirty three that um, in this world you will have trouble. Mm. And then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, so if you are suffering and you're in the middle of a struggle, just be really encouraged that this is not the end of your story, that there, there is hope. Um, and uh, the, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So there is an eternal glory awaiting you. And in some way that suffering is actually preparing you for an eternal glorious future. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, God doesn't protect Christians from suffering, um, but he does give them hope of a future without suffering. Yeah, that's a really good, really good answer. Glad I flipped it to you first. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, in some ways I'm not shocked that um, it keeps coming up for the podcast because it pops up over and over again in scripture where, yeah. you know, 
people who follow God go, what on earth is happening? Like my life is not good and I'm following you. Like what, what, what's, why, <laughs> you know? Mm. Uh, and uh, so Psalm 73 was a Psalm reflecting on like a guy who's almost stumbles out of the faith because the wicked prosper mm. and his life sucks. And he's going, why, what, like. I thought your way was the best way, but mm. the wicked are going great. Uh, and yeah, again, it's that eternal hope that like you're pointing to, like he looks at it and goes, you know what? The wicked, they'll fall like the rest of us. Um, and the richest and the most successful dies like all the other animals and then they're judged. And mm. so that eternal perspective about it evens everything out. Um, mm. and so that was how Psalm, the Psalmist in Psalm 73, um, got through it because yeah his life was a lot worse than the wicked people around him and mm. he found himself envying that and asking god like are you sure your ways are better because um it's working for them <laughs> you know mm. what they're doing mm. so uh yeah but he doesn't it's all that worldly success is, is short term and take none of it with you and and god yeah does right by his servants always so mm. we have that eternal hope so mm. yeah but i'm expecting that it'll come up a lot more in future yeah. podcasts as well because it's the it's the big question that's yeah, you never quite fully grasp it, I don't think. That's so important to wrestle with. So, yeah, keep asking the questions and, um, yeah, we enjoy wrestling through them together and, yeah, getting out the people's perspectives on things mm. I think helps us to understand God better and, and his plan for us and help us to trust him more as we wrestle with these things in community. Yeah. All right, so that was our last question. Um, mm. Do you want to fill us in what's happening next Sunday? Yeah, this Sunday... Yeah, we've done two positive texts, so let's get let's get into the the nitty gritty, the ugly stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we um been looking at Hannah, which has been great to see a godly woman, but now we're going to look at some some very ungodly men, and so we're going to see Eli and his two sons in action and see how they lead. So now we're sort of going to start getting into leadership and mm-hmm. and see some negative and some positive examples as the as the book goes on. So yeah, we're looking at Hophni and Phineas in particular, uh, who are very ungodly, uh, abusing their position, uh, just awful, awful leaders. And then Eli, who's too weak willed to stand up to them and then actually ends up joining them. So he's he's no better. Uh, and so it's a bit more of a negative chapter when you sort of, it puts judges 21, 25 in perspective. Like mm-hmm. they need, they need a good leader. Yep. <laughs> the leadership crisis is terrible. Uh, and yet even in this little, uh, negative patch, we still get those little hints that God is nurturing and growing Samuel and that Samuel's on the up. Uh, so we sort of see Hophni and Phineas being awful and then it would sort of be like, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And mm-hmm. so we're getting these little teasers of like, the, the situation's terrible. They yeah. are in absolute leadership crisis, but there's an answer and yeah. we're getting little hints that it's coming. So overall, a bit of a negative passage, um, but then it sets the scene for the rise of Samuel, mm-hmm. which so it serves an important purpose as well. Mm. I look forward to hearing more about that and we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks mm. for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.kac.sydney. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.